Bat and Spider Episode 3, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Bat and Spider Episode 3, here we are again. Chuck, some say uh, this was never going to happen. Not this far. Three episodes? I can't believe we haven't yeah. failed yet. I mean, and that's a judgment on me, not you, Dale. Like, you're you're the consummate professional here. Don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store if you have access to such a thing, because believe it or not, iTunes reviews for podcasts still matter in some fashion. We have three reviews already, believe it or not. Of one episode. Holy crap, I did not know that. Yeah. Chuck, that's amazing. I mean, there might be more. That was a few days ago. Also, in the uh, the Overcast app, if you, if you listen to over in Overcast, you can do a little recommendation dealy there. That could help too if uh, some folks are looking for shows within Overcast. Um, we have guess what voicemails and emails. I will read and play at the end of the show. But if you would like to do the same thing and uh, email us or call in and leave a voicemail, you can do that. And if you Email batandspiderpod at gmail.com. You can send us an email or you can send us a voice memo from your phone, from your own podcasting rig, you know, whatever. And we have a phone number. It's 315-544-0966. I'm Bat Chuck Spider. <laughs> I was rolling with that. Which one's pink? I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was waiting for the first, uh, first email to come in and ask which one's Bat, which one's Spider. I'd love to get, you know... This is why we do it, to get emails from our friends, you know. What else do we have besides this, this podcast? We have each other, and we if, if we could get our friends to listen to the show and maybe get a few laughs and some entertainment out of it, yeah, that's, all the better. That's, what I, that's, all, that's all anyone needs. We have an official Bat and Spider movie list where you can view our upcoming movies that we're going to be watching. At that point, send us reviews or the movies and watch along with us. Yeah, and you can like check out our reviews on Letterbox uh, and like comment on them. It's it's basically the best like website on the internet right now. Um, everything else is yeah. is filled with death and destruction, but Letterbox is is all joy for us, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a great service, and it helps us, uh, you know, document and diary our thoughts. Yeah, this week we uh, listened. We listened. Yeah. We watched uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, a 1970 movie by Dario Argento. Written, directed, and it's his first feature feature film, I guess, which I, I was surprised about. Uh, 1970, this came out. The story... Of a very cool American author trying to leave Italy, but he witnesses an attempted murder and he gets caught up in trying to solve a killing spree across Rome. Oh, and he keeps giving his girlfriend blue balls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that poor girl, from the moment she God. gets back from her whirlwind tour of modeling, yeah, uh, all she wants to do is make love. And yeah. Just be with with the person she chose to live her life with, and this guy. Every you know, they they make out a little bit, and then the, you mm -hmm. know he he puts his head on her shoulder, and you can just see it in his eyes. He's thinking about God. I gotta catch that killer. It's it just like it's 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 taken over <laughs> multiple times. There there is a, there's at least one po at least one point where she's willing to get naked in front of his friend sitting. At the dining room table, which <laughs> yeah. is 10 feet from the mattress on the floor. Very and European of them. Very European of them. And uh, he is still not taking the bait. Nope. He would much rather solve a murder and smoke indoors and out of doors. Constantly. He's got to go see that bird, that rare Siberian bird. Um, <laughs> so this is a, just a little, let's back up a little bit. So this is a, a giallo film, they call in uh in the film circles like i don't know mm -hmm. i didn't go to film school but i've heard of this giallo term and um, that it, the term is a, that it means a yellow in italian it, yeah yeah yes you've been you've been to italy dale i know that i have been yes that's um, right. and yes it means yellow and do you know it means yellow because these stories were sort of derived from a certain italian publisher and all their covers had like yellow backgrounds um and so it became this sort of like thing about, you know, murder stories that, you know, were 
And when it came to the film, it, I don't know, somehow they, it got the term giallo. So, um, and I don't think this is the first giallo, it's prob- but it's, it's pretty early on when, once they you know, started to ramp up. But yeah, and also... You should know, I mean, this has all the hallmarks of a giallo. I haven't, I've seen like maybe like three or four of these movies and they all have a killer with black leather gloves. <laughs> like that, that is a thing. Like it's all, cause it, you never see the killer's face until like the, you know, the last 10 minutes or whatever, but you always see their black leather gloves. <laughs> it's like every one of these movies has that as far as I know. <laughs> That's amazing. And with their uh, early 1970s, real-to-real computers and dot matrix printers they can oh then derive murder profiles from these gloves found on the do floor. do you think we could get honeywell to sponsor this episode <laughs> man if if we could get honeywell to send us like <laughs> at least one of those control boards or something i didn't know honeywell was i mean this is off track but i do you know the history of honeywell because i don't I, I i didn't know they were like a big computer company or something i don't know I, I I didn't know, but I'm not surprised that they're probably they were probably just they're probably into everything, especially more so back then when you know everybody was sort of pioneering their own thing. And yeah, some of the uh, some of the equipment that they used was I, I honest to God I for 1970 I didn't expect to see any computers. So no, the fact that no, what no, we no. were seeing was pretty remarkable at the time. Yeah, I bet I bet at the time it was like oh wow these cops are like. It's like it's like us watching a uh, Law and Order SVU episode with all their you know giant flat screens and yeah. touch screens moving <laughs> yeah. stuff around. You know, <laughs> I bet back then they were like, "Oh my god, the police are using computers!" Oh my my word! Right, iced tea is adept. Italian iced tea is a uh, you know <laughs> adept at using the Honeywell to uh, profile yeah. a purple. One of the first things is this attempted murder, and that's the thing: it's an attempted murder. But man, they are treating it like the girl's dead and they're doing fingerprints on everything and telling everyone not to touch anything. I was like, wow, this is uh, this is very professional. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing. They, uh, they were by the book, as they say, it almost yeah. didn't seem like it was movied up at all. Like, a, you know, an episode yeah. of CSI where the CSI does everything and normally it's not that way. It was really procedural in a, in a, in a real seeming mm-hmm. fashion. I'm not a policia by any means but <laughs> yeah and the, the other thing about the police aspect was that they were like they were very cool with sam just running his own independent investigation <laughs> like in an american movie they would be like trying to crush him like they would put him in his sights you know an american police force and take him down but in this movie that you know the italian police guys were like, yeah do you, do you need any help uh uh, helping help you know can we help you find the killer like what <laughs> yeah how short-staffed is the i mean did they spend all their budget on honeywell computers is that why they are literally asking honeywell sam dalmas oh she'll be all right thanks to you oh what's your name uh sam dalmas are you english no, I'm an American. I was on my way home and I was walking in front of a gallery and I saw these lights. I looked up here and I saw these two figures uh, struggling. Uh, Put her down carefully. To assist in the investigation. Uh, first, they are basically, you know, basically acu- not accusing him, but he is definitely a, a possibility that he, because he was there to witness this att- attempted murder. And yeah. in, in probably the coolest building in Rome... Uh, that this takes place it was like this totally open glass storefront yeah it's like a it's an art studio yeah or an art art gallery yeah um it makes me think like dario argento was probably like wandering the streets you know smoking his cigarettes oh man uh after a long night out maybe he's having a, a tiny coffee on his way home and he sees this this art gallery with this big glass window and he thinks oh my gosh this would be a, the greatest stage for a murder yeah <laughs> and imagine being stuck on the other side of that glass and you're helpless and you're watching someone die <laughs> it was such and it, but it's, it's 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 so affecting it was great it was so it was just this stark contrast of a building it was this art gallery stuck in between and otherwise 
completely yellow Rome. Every other building in Rome was like yeah. this 1970 yellow, except this one mm. art gallery that had completely glass fronts like an Apple. It was like an Apple store almost yeah, in a way. Was, yeah. And um, Sam Dalmas is walking by and he sees this attempted murder. He runs up to the glass and he cannot get in. And the the alleged attempted murderer runs out of the back of the building and he closes the second pane of glass and he basically sandwiches Sam in between these two panes. But there's no hinges. There's no trim. It's just beautiful glass. And yeah, in this weird. It's like a like a rat caught in a maze, you know? Yeah. And just like stuck it in this glass enclosure and you can't get out. And during this part, there was, there were so many like subtle pieces of comedy in this. And during this is one <laughs> of the ones where he's trying to communicate with a passerby that he's trying to tell them to contact the police because he can't get out. Somebody's dying on the other yeah. side. And <laughs> I mean, I, d I had no idea where this scene was going, but I thought, I honestly thought we were going to see carnage and, he, Sam was going to witness it all. No, I thought I thought it was going to be a long drawn out uh, scene of watching a woman die, like just bleed out and just watching her writhe in pain. That's what I thought was coming, and I was like, "Oh wow, what a what a beginning!" Yeah, right. <laughs> what what's and to have Sam be the person that would be subjected to all this would have been, you yeah. know, crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But it and honestly, I almost thought that did happen until. The uh, police showed up and they're like, "Yeah, mere flesh wound. She's fine." <laughs> She's still just laying there. No one's like helping her up. Yeah, <laughs> she is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, she's lying there like breathless, and they're like, yeah. "Oh yeah, her heart heart rate's under thirty beats a minute, but she'll be all right. It's just flesh she's level." Fine. What? She's probably just like panicking <laughs> under the weight yeah. of these paramedics leering over her. Like, I'm fine. Yeah. Did you just not know what? had just happened to me he's supposed to go back home but they're not gonna you know obviously they're not gonna let him leave because he's a possible uh suspect in a murder investigation so yeah it pivots from that to you know sam maybe you can help us specter morosini who one of one of he's a great in this this guy um enrica maria salerno is his name is the actor's name but he took he took sam's uh passport he's like he, he tricks him. He's like, hey, can I see your passport? No big deal. I just want to look at it. Total. That was a total <laughs> maverick move. Like, what are you going to try to do? Wrestle it back just, from the cop? You're going to contact a yeah, lawyer? Throws it in the drawer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Call the consulate. I don't care. I think that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> but soon we learn that this is what the third or fourth mm -hmm. killing of a very similar type or attempted killing. Um, and it And it pretty much goes from there. Sam is now... He is slowly but surely full full force obsessed, and he's going to basically, like we mentioned before, mount his own investigation, <laughs> sometimes intersecting with the cops. <laughs> yeah, at least he's not uh, going rogue. He is sharing what he knows with the police. Yeah. I mean, they are, like, bringing him on board. They, like, deputized him, if this were an Old West movie. <laughs> like, they were short on staff, yeah. so they deputized this guy in not, in not so many words, and they're just like, what do you got? Maybe you can... I don't, you know, maybe that's just the way it works. A little loosey-goosey. Yeah. Maybe this is like, you know, maybe this is what it was like in, in in Italy in the 70s. It was just very, like, they just want, everyone wanted to be friends and just help each other get along, right. you know? So, We're living in a society. Camp. Exactly. People are help, people helping people. People uh, protecting mm. one another from murder. Only psychopaths cause murder. Murder. Eh, Roma. <laughs> chuck there it comes there it is <laughs> so um sam's lady friend comes back from a whirlwind tour she's ready to pounce sam's you know is already festering on the issue at hand smoking a cigarette in bed i mean i if you, episode one you mentioned wondering about uh people and their smells i am obsessed with cigarettes yes. and the way people smoke and Ugh. where they smoke a lot yeah. of smoke i mean this is italy europe so there's it's probably 10 times more smoking than 1970s us but there's still a lot of smoking there like today 
<laughs> and there's just, I mean, it's just smoking in bed. Can, I, I think yeah. we're probably old enough to remember. My parents smoked. My mom smoked in the, you know, and she smoked in the house. Yeah. Now it's such a, I mean, there's probably people that still smoke in their house, right? But it's it's such a crazy thing. I, I think back to living in a house with smokers and just, uh, you know, everything was dingy. The ceilings were disgusting. You know, oh, the bed, yeah. you're smoking in bed with an ashtray on your nightstand. Like, I know. And it's just that stuff eats at me. I can't help. The mattress is probably yellow from like your night sweats, <laughs> sweating out that, that toxic stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're just, you're just swimming. You're just wrapping yourself in it yeah. in a cocoon of sheets and, I pumped I pumped cigarette smoke into my living room while I watched this just so I could like have that that feeling. That's again. I you know what I'm so glad that you <laughs> And I brewed some espresso <laughs> from on the stovetop Bialetti. That was my favorite some of the favorite things were just like the Italian thing like when like the inspector comes to Sam's apartment and oh my God. he like offers him some coffee and he's like, Oh yeah he like brightens up. He's like, Oh of course. Like yes. I'm so <laughs> glad you noticed that too. And and like the kitschy <laughs> shaped coffee cups and the the sugar dish yeah. it, it was such a cool style oh. and there was like a one of those bialetti uh espresso stovetop yeah you could oh see man it, it was stove, so yeah. cool to see that crap man i was in love loved it yeah he goes to an art gallery yeah. and finds out that um the woman who worked at the art gallery was killed but right before she was killed she sold a painting to somebody so sam wanted to see this painting and the art mm-hmm. dealer, he was such an amazing actor at his little part in the movie. It was such a small part, but I mean, we can just get out of the way. This guy was thirsty for Sam Downless. He comes around the corner, lays his eyes on on our handsome Sam, and just just goes whole hog and gets yeah. into his personal space oh. <laughs> while trying to sell him a porcelain Man, pot. I... I, my notes literally said personal space because that's... Good morning. Oh, good morning. Can I help you? Uh, yes, I'd like to see something... Oh, yes, in, uh... you're interested in porcelain. Oh, uh... You have marvelous taste. <laughs> These pieces are beautiful. Uh, simply divine. Uh, how much is this one? Three hundred. Oh. oh, but I won't be unreasonable about it. <laughs> Not with you. Um... That guy, oh my God. Yes. you know, there's just in an art gallery, two womany, you know, two men in there, and the, he was he was in love with Sam. He would have done anything Sam asked. He would have given him the whole store if Sam wanted. And I think that it helped justify the reason why the inspector let Sam do much do so much work anyway, because I I. I feel like maybe above all the other detectives on his police force, he I think he trusted Sam to have the charisma to be able to talk to these, these people like his robot his robot policeman never could. I don't understand, but but at least it justifies why Sam is doing all the work in this movie and we're following Sam. Yeah, so he gets this painting that the shop girl who who was killed sold to somebody and she left right after without saying goodbye. Um ends up dead in a park. Uh, So he gets a copy of this painting and it's this black and white, uh, I guess, photo or photo stat of of a woman being stabbed to death in a park, right? Which is basically what happens to the lady who sold it. Um, And it's like this kind of like, it's almost outsider art-ish. Like it's it's drawn in a very sort of, or like painted in kind of an amateurish amateurish sort of way. Um, I actually kind of like it, it's cool. and you see like the red streams of blood coming down her thighs. Like when you get close up to the the thing and I, okay. So, so Sam brings this home that the thing that really like, like I was like, yeah, that's kind of a creepy painting. It's, but it's not like super creepy, but, but then Julia comes home and it, you meet, she doesn't even close the door and she is just like, what I feel creepy. And it's that painting that you just hung on the wall. <laughs> It's not the full-size painting. It's a photostat of a painting. And he takes a painting off the wall and hangs it up where this other painting used to be. <laughs> this is now a fixture in his apartment. So, yeah. Oh, oh, and the police are nice enough to, like, have bodyguards, like, policemen, like, following Sam and Julie around to protect them. Um, because, cause, because people start trying to kill Sam, it seems like. 
We should. Do you want to talk about the phone calls? Because there there were two phone calls. There's one that the, de- the detective Inspector got. Inspector Morosini. <laughs> Hello. I wanted you to know how much I enjoyed your talk on television just now. Who's this? Quick, record the call on Morosini's line.
in and out and you know it was great and he hid julia in some <laughs> some like street closet it drove me a little nuts that they didn't show him like finding her like like she was fine but like just like um, yeah it was it was a long chase i mean they had the endurance of uh cross-country runners and then i guess sam you know there's a lot of investigating and then he i think he kind of gives up he's like he buys tickets to fly back to america he's like all right i'm gonna you know they've got a flight in eight hours him and julia are packing up when uh, julia is uh trying to once again get the uh engines of love at a, at a nice RPM, uh, Sam just is focusing on this painting and he's, he comes up with the idea. He's like, wait, wait a minute. Maybe it's, uh, there's more about this painting. So he places, uh, he places a call to our friend at the art gallery and he asks who, who painted the painting? Is it local? And the, uh, the, uh, the art dealer says, yeah, it's a guy who lives about an hour and a half away in a small town. So Sam, eight hours before his flight, is uh, is like, uh, I, I'll be back. I'll be right back. <laughs> Plenty of time. There was no, there was no um, high security. I guess back then. I guess you could, you could, you could pull this off back then. <laughs> Go three hours on train. Have a meeting with an artist. You either, you either just look him up in the phone book or ask the art dealer. He will tell you specifically exactly where he lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course he does. So in one of my favorite scenes, taxi driver drops him off at this house that has, they kept describing it as walled off because like all the doors, I guess, are sealed. <laughs> you can't get in. There's nowhere to knock. And then all of a sudden a ladder juts out of a second story window. <laughs> and this guy looked like, he looked insane. He was filthy. His hair was like a rat's nest. He looked like an extra in like a like a medieval movie. Like he, it looked like he was in the wrong movie. He fights the guy up, and Sam's like, "Why is this? Why is your house walled up?" And he's like, "It's like something like I don't want anyone bothering me." Hey, why did you wall up your house? To keep out the busybodies. Nobody gets in here unless I want them to. Besides, Besides the cats. cats. <laughs> which which made me die i was i was laughing so hard and another great italian touch he's you know this artist he's in the middle of eating his dinner and of course he has a guest what do you do you offer a plate <laughs> to your guest it totally lived up to that i don't know it's not a stereotype it's a, you know it's a real thing uh there the italians are always willing to entertain and always have wine on the table right so uh as the squalor that this guy is living in, he has a, he has extra plates at this table. He takes his filthy <laughs> bandana and he wipes off this plate. And his fil- there's a filthy cup, but there's this amazing like bottle of house wine there that they're just going to... I mean, that's what they do. They're going to drink. And he's, you know... And Sam being a good... He, like, he knows the customs. He's like, yes, I'm going to eat a plate of your, your whatever... <laughs> Um, I'm going to hang out with you. And he double wipes his fork. That was such a great moment that, you know, they took the time out of this movie for him to like literally like take his own clothing or his own handkerchief to double wipe down that fork after it was handed to him. It was such a great moment. I love that might have been my favorite moment in the whole movie. I mean, this artist is basically it's a dead end, right? He doesn't really give him any information other than. Oh, no. Well, it's. I mean, I don't know if it helps him in his investigation, but he says he doesn't do paintings like that anymore. Um, but it was based on a a girl. Was it a girl he was dating or seeing at the time who was attacked in a park? And that's what his painting was based on. So he comes back. And I think by this time, he, you know, they've missed their flight. Right. So um, and I think this is when his his weird book friend comes over to drink more whiskey. And he goes and he's been thinking about that sound on the recording and he goes and he remembers what it is and yeah mm. <laughs> and it's almost the titular line of the movie he 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 figures out it's the sound of this rare bird in the zoo that lives that's from siberia and it's impossible for them to live outside of siberia but italy has one specimen that's alive <laughs> phone's been out of order <laughs> ah 
I think I've finally figured out what that creaking sound is. Sam, it's very peculiar. What is it? It's the call of Hornitus nevalis, a magnificent bird with long white feathers that look like glass. What's so strange about it? Well, the only place in the world that bird can live is northern Siberia. I mean, he must have had, he probably is an annual pass holder at that zoo. I bet. To the bird at the zoo. And they're like, well, there it is. And it's making the sound. Oh my gosh. And then they hear a scream up in a window. And I think the cops are there with them. Yeah. They, yeah, they called the cops and everything. And they're like, oh my gosh, a scream. So they, they run up there. Who's up in this apartment building? It's the couple who, it's the attempted murder couple from the beginning of the movie. And they seem like they're having a fight and they get, they get the wife away. And the guy's like, get away from me. I think he has a knife or something, right? And the police are like trying to close in on him. He's trapped. But there's a window behind him, of course. And you could see, it's like a 10 minute scene. You could see the entire, the whole thing. He's just going to flop out of that window. I mean, I thought he was going to jump on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I thought that's what was going to happen. It's like, well, they got the killer. This is it. Um, he's going to make his quick decision. Uh, but he, you know, he's. He falls out, but they, you know, I think Sam catches him by the the hand and there's that tense moment. It's like, and the, the guy's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But of course he slips. <laughs> Sam is like, I'm losing you. I'm losing you. I just like basically apologizing to him. I'm, you're slipping. I'm sorry. I can't hold on to you anymore. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't. I'm American. I have weak, I have weak hands, money counting hands. Uh, and he, he falls. And I just want to highlight this shot because it's really cool. Like, like they do like the falling um like the the camera is like falling to the pavement um so you see the pavement coming up at you really fast uh, but they do it like they don't cut like right before it hits it the camera does like a little bounce like it hits and then bounces up a little bit and then they cut um to him like bloody on the pavement and i thought it was really cool cuz it was like it took you past that point that you're used to them cutting at in movies like the like the point of impact and there's like a little bounce and it was like kind of like even more affecting because it's like, oh God, we, you know, we went through the whole fall. <laughs> I read that they just, they literally just dropped the camera and the camera didn't survive, but the film did. Like, you're not lens to concrete. It was like kind of above that a little bit, but yeah, they said the camera didn't survive, but they did drop the camera out of the. It was such a cool yeah. shot. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that uh, yeah. to that level. And maybe it's, Maybe it's credit to, we should probably call out the cinematographer, Vittorio Storaro, who he went on to do a lot of stuff. Most notably, probably Apocalypse Now. He shot oh that, my God. Which is a visually amazing movie. Um, so this guy dies, he eats it, and he, well, he, he, before he dies, he says, what does he say? He says, he's like, he's like still alive on the pavement. Yeah, he's like, um, I, um, I, he confesses to the murders. Yeah, he confesses. But in the scuffle, his wife and Julia and his drunk friend who figured out the bird connection are gone. Sam's like, you know, he lights a cigarette, you know, over the dead body. <laughs> He's like, where's where's my girlfriend? Where is everybody? Uh, and he starts running around Rome. <laughs> and he just keeps asking people on the street, oh, did you see my girlfriend come by? She has long blonde hair, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, she went this way. Yeah, so, I mean, presumably um, that was a three and a half hour foot chase. They end up... Where do they end up, Dale? So to give to give away the entire thing, but they end up in the uh, the home portion, like behind the art gallery that we referenced in the beginning of the movie. It was like the apartment attached to that gallery on the other side that we didn't see before. But he enters through the other side of the building, so you don't know, and it's just an apart. You know, it's just a, a living quarters that ultimately you find out um, he finds his friend in a chair with a knife in his hand, but it turns out he was murdered and Julia is uh, tied up and... Is she like under a couch or something? <laughs> and um, the wife, she is uh, um, continuing the pursuing through um, the the door into the art gallery and uh, a, a kerfuffle happens where he gets pinned under this huge piece that they were uh, sort of mounting in the middle of the movie when Sam came to, to ask the questions uh, to the husband, some follow-up questions. And uh, the wife um, sort of cuts that uh, sculpture down and it falls on him. And then she is obviously ready to murder him in this big, huge show of grand finaleism spoilers the 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 person who we thought was the victim in the beginning of the movie it turns out she was trying to kill her husband in the beginning 
Right. And she is our black leather gloved wearing monster. <laughs> right. So if you held up the dot matrix ASCII, ASCII uh, printout of this part, I mean, total one to one. There she is. Yep. Apples to apples. <laughs> I can't remember if she was left-handed or not. Uh, but she was great. She played a great villain at the end there. She's doing great maniacal laughter, standing on top of the sculpture that's on top of him and he can't breathe. And she's like teasing him with this knife edge and like cutting his palm and like like darting it at his eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, it, she was she was completely menacing. Now you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> Like all the others. Eva Renzi. Uh, you know, she had a rough uh, adolescence and young childhood, and uh, then she was in the movies for a while, but she she blames this movie for killing her career. I'm not sure why. Maybe, maybe because, you know, who wants to be the woman murderer in 1970, you know? We should say, I mean, there's a lot of misogyny in this movie. You know, like, this is like a... An early 70s, oh, yeah. basically like pro, proto slasher movie, you know, and like all the women in this are not, you know, they, they're they basically like scared little lambs. They don't, you know, have a lot of power. Um, yeah. Uh, unless they're a, a maniacal killer. Um, there's no in between there <laughs> for females in this movie. I hand it to the movie because I, I, it had me guessing up until the end. Like, yeah. So it does come out that the husband did have something to do with the murders too. And he may have even, uh, you know, he may have been one of the voices on the phone call and he may have done a couple, a couple of the murders as well. Yeah. It just, it just seemed like, I mean, cause then they just explained that, um, what was her name? Monica, that she, she, she was the woman who dated that crazy artist and was attacked in the park. Um, so like the justification was that she went through this traumatic experience and that's, and she, um, it, it, you know, she had therapy or whatever, got better essentially, but then it manifested years later as she needed to kill women. <laughs> it was, it was so completely sort of satisfying to where they didn't need to explain why she was murdering. She was just evil, but they needed to. They felt the need to justify that maybe because, you know, it was a woman doing it in 1970 or, you know, they wanted to put it out there that, you know, uh, crazy women will murder or something. But they, they felt the, the need to um, sort of describe it. And it, it was kind of satisfying in a way because it tied back to that painting and the time spent um, with with the artist coming up with that story to begin with and my mind was actually blown i was like oh my god this is the same person the painting was about her i was i was i thought that was really yeah. cool because i like because like when he went to see the artist and he didn't it seemed like he didn't really get anything out of it like i was like kind of bummed because it seemed like like did this have to even be in here other than mm -hmm. that it was this guy was a funny character um but yeah but that then it ended up she she was the subject of that painting. I thought that was really cool. And it ends with uh, um, Inspector Marisi going on TV once again, <laughs> which in one of my favorite parts in the movie, he's like, he's obviously exhausted and like the host of the show throws it to him to give his explanation of why this, uh, why this woman turned into a homicidal maniac. And he is just exhausted and he doesn't know the answer and he he starts to talk but he's coughing and then he he just he basically just throws it on to the uh the psychologist who's, who's on stage next to <laughs> to explain it explain to us what led this poor unbalanced creature to commit these horrible murders uh um <clears throat> oh, good evening <coughs> sorry <coughs> well i um uh, I think the person best qualified to answer this question is uh, Professor Rinaldi, the well-known psychiatrist who acted as uh, as our consultant during the investigation. Which I thought was just like a hilarious detail, like, because he's probably been up all week trying to solve this case and he's just like exhausted. <laughs> yeah, so the inspector's just, you know, you know, finally, like, why even have me out here? I'm just going to hand it over to the psychologist anyway, like, that's, and yeah. that's how it ends it was it was really great yeah and it ends with the psychologist's explanation of what we just had with sam and julia getting on their plane back to right. america <laughs> the end <laughs> did you i for some reason like because they cut his the 
professor's monologue over there leaving and they kept like showing julia sitting in the like the airplane seat were they saying that julia was next like because she went through because she was almost killed by the killer in this movie um there's a scene we didn't talk about where the killer tries to get into their apartment and is shoving a knife through the door um and i thought they were like hinting like julia is gonna you know go back to america and 10 years later she's gonna go on a killing spree (laughs) that's really good that you bring that up because it was just so Mm -hmm. strange the way they um portrayed her boarding the plane like just the editing and the camera shot of her being singled out in this weird like editing uh during yeah. boarding like it just let's take this weird close-up of her and yeah that's that's mm-hmm. actually a good point i mean it, is she now the subject of the painting that won't get painted but the trauma has happened yeah so she's it's like a virus she got like the, the yeah is that implying <laughs> that 10 years from now it's going to manifest its, itself that's a that's a really good way of thinking about yeah. it just because the you know of all the shots it was so weird at that point to um make another one you know she was boarding a plane to go back home with sam why i mean giallo movies like led to what we you know the the 80s 90s slasher movies that we know so well and uh more in this country um and all those movies always have that zinger at the end where you know jason you know comes back to life and one more stab or whatever jumps into the canoe with uh you know a little boy probably the most heartbreaking real news of it um the species of bird featured at the zoo, the one one species of bird from Siberia, is not even actually a real species of bird. Ugh. It, it was just made up for the movie, and it was played by like a, a gray crown, like just a normal bird from Africa. I, I, I have to say I was disappointed when they showed the bird. It, like I was like, <laughs> like this whole movie... I was like, um, I'm going to see that yeah. fucking bird. And it's I want to awesome. see the majesty <laughs> of this thing. Like, yeah, you're right. There, the plume was not spectacular. Uh, a peacock, no. an albino peacock would have been more spectacular in terms of plumage. They could have thrown some like flower on that bird or something, you know. <laughs> Try to make it look real, but with. And they barely show it. I mean, it kind of worked for the scene because it's interrupted by the scream from the yeah. window. But uh, but it, it's like super, it's it's super like not gratifying <laughs> when they show, I know, right? show this bird because not necessarily um, they really don't have to have the bird to make this a, you no. know, a good movie anyway but to feature the bird and have the bird be just so uneventful you know just sorry bird i mean we love you but no it makes me want to rewatch it because i want to see if there's more bird call outs because uh, uh, yeah. like in the beginning in the art gallery um when the woman's almost dying she's like behind this giant like giant bird foot, like made oh, out of yeah, bronze. Man, that was... <laughs> and like, it just looks like the biggest chicken foot you've ever seen in your life. Um, and I wonder if there's more like bird things hidden. And I think they find a, f- the police find a feather on the ground or something. I don't know. Um, or maybe it was cotton. Um, but I thought it was a white feather. I don't know. Needs more birds. It needed more birds. It needs more eventful birds at the very <laughs> least. You know, it's just so much mundane birdness. Yeah. A fake bird. But it was good. It was good. Another good one, Chuck. And it's cool to see. Yeah. It's cool to see like, you know, I mentioned like, I think slashers kind of grew out of this, out of the giallo kind of genre. Um, so it's kind of cool to see the beginnings of that. And I think there's one scene that's really violent that's like, I think was actually cut out of the American version when it was first released. Um, it was like 20 seconds um, that they cut. Um, and I could see why it's, you know, especially back in 1970, it's pretty disturbing, even though they don't show a lot. It's still like, uh, you know, it's very much. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Horrific. That was, that got pretty yeah. racy for the time. I mean, I, it, and I, to see yeah. where, how this was like the beginnings of the slasher genre, you could totally see how, like in my mind, I was, I was taking these scenes, you know, 15, 20 seconds further and gorier because, yes, yes. because naturally <laughs> that's where movies and, you know, creativity ends up by yeah. the late 70s, early mm-hmm. 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's what we're used to. <laughs> but it was, but it was, you know, probably more affecting be, uh, because they, you know, didn't show everything. Um, 
because it's leaving us up to our disgusting, filthy minds to fill in the gaps. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. We have a phone number, 315-544-0966. Go ahead and leave us a voicemail there or email us or email your voice memo to batandspiderpod at gmail.com. Let's roll through these, shall we, Chuck? Mm. Dale and Chuck, this is Mikey T. I just wanted to let you know I spent my Saturday night listening to your, to your debut episode. I love this so much, I felt compelled to call you right away. The banter between you guys was, is lovely. Uh, I will admit my awareness and experience with B-movies and horror in particular are limited, uh, probably because I am an emotional train wreck, and I was always scared off, but hearing my friends discuss them has been opening my horizon, and I thank you. I'm slowly watching some horror like Halloween, um, I think, for the first time, because you guys would talk about it, and I loved it. In this movie, you guys did Killer Driller, Driller Killer, kind of like a fun watch, and I love the New York accent, so might check it out. Uh, I was wondering what it was about these movies that you're drawn to. Chuck sort of like talked about log box, box diving, going through a lot of bad comments. I had one, but it could have been any movie really. So I was wondering maybe there's one in particular from when you were young kids, maybe that started you down this path. I was wondering what it was. Anyway, just want to say I love the artwork, of course. Uh, the music, music is great. Just a long thank you call to us, really, for forcing you to do this podcast. Love you. <laughs> Oh my God! Thank you, Mikey P. Mikey P. You're such a sweetheart, and you're the yeah. first uh, first voicemail we've had for Bat and Spider. Oh yeah, he, uh, yeah. Mikey's a he's a he's an old friend of the show. Even though you know this is only our third episode, old friend. So Chuck, oh, he poses the question: What what is it uh, yeah. about these movies that you are drawn to? And you had a good analogy of uh, you know long box noodling for you know those those couple of great comics amongst you know a lot of good comics and sub comics that weren't worth anything but um yeah i I think i'm drawn to them i I think because it's it's like that passion that you know a lot you know a lot of you know i mean not you know not all of the movies fall into this category that we're going to talk about but um just you know working beyond your means of budget or you know cast or crew and just having a passion to push through and make this piece of art that you're driven to do to me that that's the thing i respond to um and when you find like a diamond in the rough like um amongst all these movies it's like it's it's awesome yeah (laughs) um and and i think i just you know it goes back to just seeing like friday the 13th when i was i was probably like five or six and i should not have been watching that yeah um and going to the video store and seeing these you know the horror section and the 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 artwork on these cases and just being intrigued and wanting to know what's what's Mm -hmm. inside them even though my mom wouldn't rent them for me you know um yeah there's there's still that there's that curiosity of of just seeing a title and and an image and just like being just having to know what what this is yes exactly (laughs) and from it's it's similar for me so uh, uh the the stories behind the movies I have, you know, a more recent love for that and uh, mm. for the stories to get told and the, what the blood, sweat, and tears people put into it are make me love it even more. Um, but I think why yeah. I am drawn to um, older, more drive-in-y type movies. And from there, you know, obviously I'm, expl- I'm expanding my horizons and getting into stuff that, uh, you know, I had never heard of like this. Um, but it all does stem from a childhood where I think, you know, something about the cable edits of scary movies like probably Friday the 13th, mm. when I was of the age yeah. to be uh, captured and enamored by them, um, made them feel like they were scary, but they weren't unsafe because, you know, they were probably the cable edits. And I think specifically I attribute yeah. to the Friday the 13th series to that on the USA network, um, you know, um, and their marathons that they would have. But I can remember like my sister and my aunt Missy, 
uh, always having like scary. And my sister's younger than me, and I was kind of a chicken at the time yeah. to watch scary movies. But through my sister and my aunt, I would kind of watch them more and more until I grew to, you know, love them. And even at my age now, Mikey mentions being like an emotional train wreck. But there's a there are a lot of new yeah. movies that I can't bring myself to watch because I know they're scary. Uh, there is comfort in yes. me being able to watch a Friday the 13th because I watched it at the right age and I know how safe they are. And from that like Venn diagram or concentric circle, you know, around Friday the 13th, it kind of like, um, you know, branches out from there around other slashers and stuff like that that make me kind of mm-hmm. feel uh, still a little more safe. It's tough for me to for my stomach to turn when you see like bright red blood yeah. or something that you know you, as real as it looks there's something still safe about it if you know what I mean just because you know it's um, it's still it's make still believe and you know, you know a yeah. lot of times you know there are, and obviously I'm not saying it's just all modern horror there are older horror movies that are a little too mm. real like that too but you know a lot of the modern horror stuff it's just like you know that new evil dead and stuff i i even have problems with it just because it just seems too real at at times um i'll watch yeah. it but i just don't have like i can't just throw it on like i have to be emotionally prepared for something like that whereas like totally. friday the 13th or my bloody <laughs> yes. valentine or something like that man i could just throw that on yeah. and it's just like comfort food for me and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like um, one of your big influence or like a person that maybe got you into this was that Joe Bob Joe Bob <laughs> yeah, Briggs oh, yeah. character, yeah, Joe and right? Joe Bob Wright on um <laughs> on Monster Vision on TNT because what that's the cable edits, yeah, and he what was yeah, and he was on what the movie channel or Showtime, yeah, he had a run well. uh, on the movie channel for years before yeah. TNT Monster Vision. So yeah. again, you're seeing just the cable edits of that, and you know it's it's a cable edit. It's not the network edit, so it's a little more mm-hmm. racier, but still, it's a cable edit in the late '80s or yeah. something. So it's not going to be as you know, it's still going to be safer than like watching South Park or something uh, nowadays. Um, so yeah. that's where it stems from. So I'm I'm willing to like branch out and watch more of the uh, the drive-in quality stuff around that because um, mm-hmm. it's just it's still safe for me and and you know and somebody like yeah. joe bob will bring that sort of uh brevity and keep it light and bring like the facts and uh you know tell you the backstories of that um you know as for as uh for as, as such a unique character as joe bob is his movie knowledge is second to none and uh it's insane the stuff he knows <laughs> he'll be back for another season after this show will be posted or um, around the time that seasonal premiere, but um, yeah, I like that because now there's no commercials. It's just movie breaks with him, like dropping more knowledge. Mikey P, thank you for that uh, yeah. that voicemail. Yeah, thanks, Mikey P. I, you know, it's you don't have to watch the movies along with us. You know, maybe just hearing us talk about it is yeah. enough. Um, uh, but yeah, but yeah, if it gets you to watch a weird movie, that you know, that's that's a a cool win for us. I think. Next up, spoilers. Our technical advisor, Slim. Yeah. Another voicemail. There we go. Oh, oh my. Hey, this is Slim. First time, long time. This is a question for both hosts. In all the bad movies you've seen, who would you want to have as a potential guest in the future of Bat and Spider? Thanks for the uh, the podcast. Bye. <laughs> Jesus. Slim. 16 second <laughs> voicemail, Slim. You're the champion. You know is what you're he, doing, my, my friend. Is he Not doing a character? You never heard Slim talk before? That's how he sounds. <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> that is not the Slim I know. I don't know who that was. Slim, I'm sorry. Uh, this, you know, the love is all on this side of the computer. Slim. So out of all the bad movies uh, we've seen, would there would there be any that would be like yeah. a potential guest for you? Uh, you know, the, the horror community is such a tight knit community. So if you if you end up following one on Instagram, you'll you'll through six degrees of um horror kevin bacon you will you know eventually start following a lot of people because there's so many like streaming platforms and places on the internet to get into the thing you're interested in is that this is a great time to be into this into like horror movies and like low budget movies um because it's like you know uh you can sort of find Mm -hmm. your tribe a lot easier and um there's a lot more access and there's 
tons of people making podcasts and short films and and zines. I just bought mm. some zines the other day of uh, called uh, Strange Tapes. I found them on Instagram, and it's it's this guy. He puts together. It's 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 just like videotape covers of like weird VHSs he's found <laughs> in his collecting days wow. and like cool collages and stuff. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great time to be into this stuff. Um, as for a guest, I would love to have uh, Terrence from The Gate on. <laughs> My God, to talk about <laughs> wow. the heavy metal kid, oh, Stephen Dorff, yeah. best bud. <laughs> Man, that guy. I think that would be a good guest. Yeah. That that imagery haunts me when he pops out of the closet to bite Stephen Dorff on the hand oh, with his buck teeth. God. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Haunted Ugh. to this day. Ugh. Chuck and I, are, That's I a, think, are the only yeah. two to ever see the gate and uh, on our, in our <laughs> PK slack, our paper keg slack. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... The gate was a magical watch for me. Like, I mean, maybe we'll do an episode on the gate, but... but it's one of those movies. It's one of those movies that probably made me love these types of movies, actually, because I I went to the video store. Probably I was probably a little older because I I probably rented some movie myself. And I forget what movie I rented. When I got home, went to pop it in the VCR, but the wrong tape was in it. Oh, and it was the gate. Oh my god! And I was like, wow. I was like, well, I guess I'm watching whatever the gate is. And I just had a blast. Wow. It was just such a great experience because I knew nothing about it. It wasn't the movie I rented, but I just I fell in love. And yeah. Shit, Chuck. That's a crazy story yeah. about the gate. Yeah. I'd, I I think we should do that sometime. Maybe maybe if uh, we get, get old Terrence on the show, we could do the gate. <laughs> um, th- the gate is one of the ones that even as a young boy, I could not handle the gate scared the shit mm. out of me. Um, it's it's because I mean, demons coming out of a hole in the backyard. Oh. Yeah. Beca- and it's more like, because of, I mean, it's a movie with kids as the main characters, right? But the movie yeah. was far scarier than th- it should have been for having kids as the main character. And for, for something that gets to be so stupid as like that monster demon that comes through the floor, like the rocket and weird science, like, um, like it's the other things like with the dog, the dead dog dancing, or I, I still can't, I'm still haunted by the fact, the fact that I thought this dog was dead or I think uh, when the dog is coming out, comes out dancing, like, remember he's like having a ballroom dance with the dog or something. I remember the, the one I remember is I think there's a, there's an eyeball and a, um. oh yeah. Oh <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, that is horrifying. But the, I mean, the effects in the gate, like there's like minute stop motion miniatures for a lot of that stuff. It looks really oh. good. Like I, at least in my mind, I remember it looking amazing. Um, but we should save that for uh, another episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could we could just double our running time just talking yeah. about the shit yeah. that frightened us in the gate. Um, as far as like guests for me, I, um, that's a good question. I think. For people that would be like down to earth and good podcast mm-hmm. guest material, um, I think um, I think it would be cool to have like Tiffany Shepis on, who is in some of the, like Tromeo and Juliet. She's in, and um, Victor Crowley. I think she's in that movie. Oh, and, cool. Uh, Felissa Rose. She seems like she would be fun. She's from Sleepaway oh, Camp. Yeah. Um, yeah. She seems like a real fun person with a cool personality. And um, yeah. I'd love to have like Barbara Crampton on or, or something like that. Just to yeah. But not to talk, you know, to maybe to interview them, but just to have conversations with, you know what I mean? Not to like, yeah, yeah not yeah, to make yeah. them talk about their or career have them, or like plug stuff. Yeah. Or have them pick a movie they like, oh you know? Oh my God, that would be. We can talk about that. Yeah. You know? So, uh, Slim, thank you. And um, I'm sorry that Chuck hates the way you sound. <laughs> he sounded like a total dweeb. It's <laughs> <laughs> got too hot in here. I loved it. Chuck is on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta turn down the heat <laughs> before we go it's I, th- I believe it's your turn to pick our next movie god it's my turn Chuck I'm looking at so, this list you know. the list the movie that I'm picking Black Sabbath awesome Black Sabbath next week I might be wrong uh, leave us a, a voicemail write us an email yeah please do it's lonely up here in, in our haunted castle I'm gonna end every show saying I might be wrong because I feel like 
there's going to be horror fans listening oh. to the show and they're going to be so mad at everything I say. <laughs> yeah, to be completely honest, that's what scares me the most is, uh, you know, that's <laughs> they are um, protective. They're very yeah. protective, which I get. Be nice to yeah. us. Be nice to us. We're just people who are just trying to enjoy Welcome some us. movies. You know what I mean? We're not here to make a buck. We're just here to have fun and maybe bring some levity into your lives if you choose to listen. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Our theme song was created by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Find out more at whipsongmusic.com. Bring in the perverts.